Welcome to the Kim Honeycutt podcast, Flip Your Lid. Kim Honeycutt is a psychotherapist. She's also the author of the book, But Your Mother Loves You. Kim also is the executive director of ICU Talks, which is a mental health speaking ministry. And she's a member of Mosaic Church and a lover of Jesus. In this podcast, this podcast is designed so that you can learn how to flip your lid and then reconnect to who you really are. So today, you're going to get to hang out with Thomas Floyd. So Thomas is a psychotherapist. And honestly, y'all, he's a really good friend of mine. He, through Marco Polo, has helped me get through this pandemic so far. We have definitely sent some funny videos to each other. But there's a real serious side of him as well. He's extremely intelligent, speaks really well about his understanding of interpersonal biology and the Enneagram and attachment styles and a thousand other things. Like, he's just fun. And I think you're going to enjoy learning from him, hearing him talk about how he sees the Bible, but also just knowing that there's just a depth to him. And I hope it adds to the depth that you already have inside of you. So, hey, everybody, this is Kim Honeycutt. You're at the Kim Honeycutt podcast called Flip Your Lid. And so the laughter you hear gently in the background is one of my really good friends. He's my best male friend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. His name is Thomas Lloyd. Can That's... we have a little round of applause? Yay, Thomas. So I, I would say I hate the validation, but I don't. So <laughs> thank you for that. Right. So Thomas, you and I go way back. It's been at least like three months. I don't even know. <laughs> Three years, At three least months. three months. Yeah. yeah. It's been a little while. I feel like the last three months have been, like, we've done enough to last. To last three years. A lifetime. Yeah. That sounds really sad. I'm already starting to be sappy, and you, we just started this. Right. Well, he's a four. If anybody knows about the Enneagram, he's a four. Four on the so Enneagram. that tells you. I think you're, you're one four. One-to-one subtype, you're a four, four on one the Enneagram. One. Yes. So. You are. So, but you're amazing. So, let's just tell everybody, here's the deal. Okay. So, Thomas came into my life because of his work with the Enneagram, and I love... The Enneagram being an amazing spiritual tool for people. Yeah. And he teaches it really, really well. And he has studied under Suzanne Stabile and then done a lot of his own finding ways and podcasts and books to learn even more. He's in private practice. I am. Yeah, which we're so grateful for. And so if you're looking for a psychotherapist, do not contact me. Please contact Thomas Floyd. He's amazing. <laughs> and But you're not just an Enneagram person. That's part of why I wanted you here today, be part of the kickoff of my new podcast because you're one of my people but also when it comes to trauma when it comes to interpersonal biology when it comes to narcissism when it comes to narcissism in the church yeah there's so much you are very well versed in thanks yeah and so i want people to know that about you we've done a lot of attachment um facebook live Mm -hmm. talks we've done a lot of things together a lot of enneagram stuff but we haven't talked about that we've we've flirted with each other about about talking about (laughs) is narcissism in the church yes yeah, that's that's a really important topic, I think, I in in our in our present day and age. And um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, we've we've talked about it, you know, off. What is this? Not off camera, off podcast. Well, well on Marco Polo. On Marco which Polo, which is like the main form of communication in my life now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I think it's a really important conversation to have with what's going on in our world. What uh, what's going on in church church culture the american church culture so i think there's a there's a lot to this conversation so i'm excited to be able to talk about it yeah and i think you're i think you're the right person to do this with us and i really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule because i know if Absolutely. you're sitting with me you're not making money so i get done at two today so i'm trying to like get to, people I, to feel sorry for you or something and you're a four don't you like eat you, that up you i i mean when it's when you're trying this hard okay i'm gonna stop <laughs> I'm going to go back to being myself, everybody. I'm going to stop being nice. It doesn't doesn't look good on me, does it? <laughs> it looks good on you. Whatever. So so jump in there. Help us understand Sure. Um, what narcissism is in the clinical mm. world mm-hmm. and then how you would like to define that about narcissism in the church. And let's just see where this goes. Sure. So I think... I mean, one of the one of the important things to remember is that the word narcissism is getting thrown out like... <laughs> A lot these yes. days. And part of that is because I think what's happening culturally is that we're seeing 
we're more comfortable with calling out injustices. We're more comfortable with not just saying yes to authority for the sake of saying yes. We're we're just we're becoming more aware. So I'm I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I think defining narcissism. What I'd like to do is talk about it in two ways. One, the the Bible, quote unquote, of psychology, the DSM five talks right. about it in a personality way, uh, uh, in a like a disorder. Yeah, like a personality yeah. disorder way. And I would say that not a whole lot of people fit that bill. So because, but narcissism for me is not just that, but it's also on a spectrum. Yes, you know, um, all of us actually have. That this might shock people, but it's actually kind of healthy to have a hint of narcissism That's because right. if you don't have a hint of narcissism, then you're going to get used and, and abused. And you, a lot of people can't get out of bed with a little, without a little bit of grandiosity of what they can do through. Right, 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 yeah. right. And and so what what I've seen over time in church culture, especially in North American church culture, is people not being aware of their stuff, and then narcissism on that spectrum actually shows up, and so. For people that are wondering what's the difference between a personality disorder and a spectrum, one of the, I'll start giving resources already, but Chuck DeGroat talks about this and he says, if there's curiosity involved, so for example, if someone is wondering, hey, I don't, I can see how that affected you. How can I be mm-hmm. better? Some level of curiosity uh, probably is not in a disorder and is more on the spectrum way. So I think that's that's really important. Uh, but narcissism shows up in just all kinds of different ways. Uh, but also, not just narcissism, but I, I, I think emotional awareness and emotional wellness in the church. We, we, are, we should be leading the, the mm. charge in that, and yeah. we're not. Preach it. Preach it, Don. Uh, and, and, and Pizza Zero's work talks about how you cannot separate uh, spiritual maturity and emotional health and often oftentimes those aren't always going together for people and so i think a conversation about what that actually looks like is really really important yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah i'm 100 percent with you and because the the spectrum of people understanding about narcissism like there's a such thing as depressive narcissism there is codependent narcissism right there's yes and the difference with codependent narcissism versus malignant narcissism is that you will really encourage a codependent narcissist mm-hmm. to keep doing what they're doing mm-hmm. because people benefit from it. Correct. But it means that they are stuck in a trauma response and they are not doing well. Correct. Right. And so we'll keep, we'll stay away from malignant narcissists or mm-hmm. really, really, really try to please them. But people will see that and not feel safe. Yeah. But with depression narcissism, a lot of times we will um, overlook it, call it something else. Yes. Codependent narcissism, we will encourage it because it means you get. All the food taken care of Correct. for the church event. Correct. Right. And it, it and this is why integrating the enneagram into this conversation is important because right. if it, as we start learning about narcissism, we might just think that you know threes and eights. Well, I think, I think we can throw some sevens <laughs> three, in there. Sevens three, sevens, and eights. Eight, but, you know, who are aggressive yes. stance numbers and who can be maybe a little grandiose. A little bullying. Are you okay? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. T- I'm, about <laughs> to, I'm about to punch you just because. Oh, you, you don't have feelings, so this is I fine, right? Yeah, I don't oh, have a lot, okay, so go cool. ahead. So, so because of that, I think uh, because of that, it's not just three, sevens, and eights. It can show up in all kinds of people. I mean, Chuck DeGroat talks about he didn't even think – nines could be narcissists and they can totally be narcissists it just shows up like you said it shows up in a trauma response it shows up in how they get their needs met right uh i mean even twos twos can be narcissists you know fours can be narcissists right well twos and nines can really be the people who you're going to see some codependent narcissism correct Particularly in the twos and the nines, I think, and tell me what you think of this, Thomas, since you're the expert. Nines, I think you're going to see the bitterness and the resentment mm-hmm. later on yes. in the relationship. Yeah. In that there is there is nothing like a nine being mad at you mm-hmm. because it is passive aggressive. It leaks out or it comes explosively opposed to me as an eight. I'll just punch you in the throat. Right. And then I'm done. Like we can, we can make up. 
Well, nine store. I mean, yes. the nine store all that stuff in fights. So yes. they may not say anything, and then a fight blows up, and apparently they've been keeping track yes. of every single thing that you've been doing wrong. Absolutely. And it comes out that way. It all comes out. Yes. And and honestly, if we're honest, I mean, fours. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a level of self-involvement there that if we're not careful and if we're not engaging in our own work can mm-hmm. become incredibly incredibly self-involved and so that's why the four moved to two and and stress is so important because it actually it helps us how to actually give to others right. and how to how to want to do thing want to do things for people and not just for ourselves right so the suffering can be addictive that can be part of the depression narcissism for uh, fours yeah right. that that hits a little too close to yeah, home is this a, a per- is this you a therapy me- session here no because you didn't pay me <laughs> no <laughs> no absolutely absolutely yeah. and um, you know, and, and even for, you know, for fives, it, it looks, it looks like becoming a little, you know, restrictive and stubborn and, and all that stuff and, and withholding information. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think one of the really interesting things that I heard Suzanne say, if Sarah ever listens to this, she'll give me a look, but, uh, <laughs> Sarah's my wife, by the way, but and she's a six. She way. is. Yeah. She, she was once asked, what number do you think is the most controlling number? And I, 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 I thought the answer would be, uh, each number just shows it in different ways. Mm. But Suzanne thinks that sixes when they're not doing their work can be more controlling than any other number because they have to plan the way that it happens. Mm. And if they can't be involved in that planning process, then uh, then they won't do it, and they'll they'll stonewall you. They'll become really stubborn about it. And Sarah was like, "Yeah, that hurts, but it's true, you know." Yeah, and so, yeah. so I think sixes narcissism for them really looks like not trusting that other people can do it uh, better than they can because they think that their planning and their their desire to do it the right way is the best way. Right. And so, as we use the enneagram, and by the way, the the book that that I'm using the, uh, one of the main resources for this would be when narcissism comes to church by Chuck mm-hmm. DeGroat. And, uh, I'm still getting used to like hearing my voice through this. It's really interesting. Uh, and, and so b- because of that, I, I think each, each number, it can look very, very different. And within church culture, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed about our American Christian context is that everything becomes so individualized. Mm-hmm. Everything becomes, and so we don't actually know how to do community together well a lot right. of times. Right. Like some churches do. I, I'm not saying that every church is like this, but because of that, we, we can, sometimes church is messy. Like sometimes we have to get dirty and we're not, yes. we're going to have disagreements and we're going to have conflicts and things are not going to go well. And we have to be able to, I think, navigate those in healthy ways. And if we're not aware of our own narcissism in that mm-hmm. role, we'll get in trouble. Uh, and and so, yeah. That is such a good point because I can just see like in a church that if the church was started by a three, seven or an eight, mm-hmm. right? Somebody in the aggressive stance. Yes. And then those, particularly those who have a really hard time with confrontation and they're more of, of avoidant mm-hmm. in that, that if there's a problem, their needs aren't being met, they're just going to leave. Yes. Opposed to, and then, again, the three, seven, eights, then multiply, then there's more, and then that becomes the norm. Correct. And it's all about aggressive stance and not showing weaknesses. Correct. And, th- and that's why Suzanne talks about in any organization – and not only church culture, but nonprofit, she believes that it's important to have balanced, balanced staffing with different stances. Mm-hmm. You know what? Because mm-hmm. a, a lot of times with, with in churches, you're right, it is three sevens and eights. Yeah. And then, but that's, I, I think that's the beauty of ones, twos, and sixes too, that they, they ask us to actually slow down and care for people and think about the common good. Well, that doesn't always go well with three sevens and eights because they want to accomplish and they want to do, mm-hmm. uh, and they just want to be the best. Hello, him kind of cut. So, uh, and so because of that, I think it's really, really important to, I mean, it, it's important to understand our, our strengths and our weaknesses in the process. Right. And, and in regards to, I, I think in regards to church culture too, we have to understand that we cannot do life without people. Right. Uh, it, it is, and that's why 
That's why Paul, that's why Jesus, that's why everything in the New Testament talks about this idea of doing life together, of doing mm. community together. Right. But but each um, each nation has limitations, and I think our limitation here is that we cannot get out of our own individualized lens as we see, see things. Yeah. And so part of what we need to wrestle with in, in this day and age is understand the way, understanding the ways in which, you know, we can do life together in better ways. And all of that, like you said, has to do with getting our needs met. Yeah. I think the main yeah. the main problem that I've seen in church leadership uh, structures is that leaders don't know when leaders don't understand that they have needs, that's mm-hmm. a problem. Right. When leaders say this is the way it is because this is what the Bible says or this is mm-hmm. and I'm all good I'm all for like good sound doctrine. I'm not saying that that's not a thing, but when you don't understand that you're trying to get your needs met and and you don't you don't realize that all kinds of hurt and pain can really occur. Yeah, absolutely. And and for y'all just know we're also talking about this in a very unhealthy way. All numbers can look a certain way in health and yes. And so your number is not your reason to not get better. Correct. It's not a it's not a oh I'm I'm a nine and so this is just how we are. That Cor- is not what we're saying whatsoever. Right. We're talking about but we are focusing on the unhealthy part. If you're in a church, it is about your emotional needs. Yes. One of the main things the enemy will use and have you have shame about your emotional needs mm. because in those needs, there's vulnerability and trust and therefore connection. Yeah. And connected, we advance the kingdom. Yeah. Right. And and Rizzo, Rizzo and Hudson have done really good work with levels of development and health. Right. And so all of us can actually grow to be pretty healthy people. Uh, it, it takes, I mean, I heard Suzanne say once she's always asked, you know, is there a combination that's not, uh, compatible right, is, right. and she says any number that is working on themselves, mm-hmm. it's going to work out. Now right. she did say, she followed up with saying that, but I have seen fours <laughs> get married together and that's a hot mess. So, <laughs> that's adorable. <laughs> so, uh, but I think all of us can actually grow in trying to, trying to be, Healthy. What is? I have a question for you. Even though you're not being interviewed. Oh, come on, bro. Uh, I don't like talking about myself. Go what ahead. are? <laughs> <laughs> what are the things that you've noticed in regards to to getting needs met that you've seen in in just with people in your practice, but also when we talk about the greater body of Christ. Right. Well, and also being an executive director of a ministry, mm-hmm. it's what it's like to watch people. So I'll tell you one thing. I am really good about my emotional needs, not because I'm an eight. People tell me, "Well, that's easy for you because you're an eight. That that is actually invalidating towards my 25 years of sobriety that mm. every day I have worked mm. to learn how to be vulnerable and not be controlled by my trauma and by the voices in my head. Oh, wow. Right? So I'm able to confront and to be clear about my needs mm. because I've done the work. And so I see people who are not encouraged to do the work. And so, and their idea is that if I do something for me, it's against Christ. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things I, yes. I hear is, is, and to me, it's misunderstanding Absolutely. of the scripture. I also think it's compounded by the fact that you most likely went into a, the fawning trauma response as a Correct. child, went into a preoccupied attachment. That became your way of life. And I'm asking you, just like when mm-hmm. I was asked to stop drinking. I'm asking you to walk away from the very thing that's keeping you from feeling some pain underneath. Correct. In your way of thinking, you're connected, but we know that you're not connected if you're in a trauma response. Mm-hmm. If you are not getting your needs met and you're hyper focused on someone else's needs, yes, then you are not truly connected. Yes, and and this is talking about interpersonal neurobiology. This is where the work of curiosity really comes right. into play because um, for just a basic understanding, right? Dan Siegel and the the model of the brain, the prefrontal cortex or the cortex region is what he calls the wise part of the brain, which means that it has a lot to do with executive functioning. How do we hold opposing views together? Good Lord, could we use that right. in our day and age, yes, right? Preach it, preach how do we, how do we, how can we not engage in either or thinking, but both and thinking? Right. How do we, how are we able to, uh, have connection with people while also disagreeing. All the stuff, right, that Facebook is showing us we can't do well. Anyways, that's Amen. another rant. Uh, all of that stuff, when trauma hits or when mental health 
stuff hits, mm. what we know because of brain scan research is that that part of the brain is actually deactivated. Right. Um, because the brain is essentially saying it's sending energy to the brainstem and to the limbic area and is saying, you, this doesn't feel safe. Right. Alert, 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 alert. Right. So all of the, the higher capacity brain involvement that, that we can participate in literally gets turned off. Right. So what I work, what I do with people is I say, you've got to turn that, that prefrontal cortex area. And they're like, well, how do I do it? Um, I think you do it, and I think the research backs us up. It's it's self observation without judgment. That's right. It's actually not necessarily finding a solution right away. Three sevens and eights. It's not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, it could be like that, right. but for me personally, I need to be able to. And maybe it's because I'm in the withdrawing stance, and it takes me a little longer. But I need to be able to observe the pattern before I try to find a solution to mm-hmm. the pattern. Mm-hmm. And and lots of people can engage in self-observation mm-hmm. the hard piece is doing self-observation without judgment that's right because we want to criticize we want to mm-hmm. name we want to say things that aren't good about ourselves but if we can self-observe we can be curious about oh this is why as a four i want to be validated or as a two i want to mm-hmm. be liked or as a five i want to retreat or as an eight i just want to boss everybody around or as What's a these, that, are, these are caricatures by the way or as a nine i just want uh, I just want peace within myself because, like I said last time I was here, you are not your personality. Your personality is the stuff that you've actually added on right. to your core self or your true self, uh, your your diamond, right? And so I think it's really important to recognize that we, we curiosity is really, it's really, really important. Yeah. And it takes work, but it's also, if we just set time aside to just be curious about our lives, um, it can really help. The, the last thing I would add with, with that piece of the conversation is that in, I'm talking culturally, the reason I think curiosity is hard, I'm not gendering everything, but especially for males, um, is because we live in a quote unquote three culture that's all about how do we get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so we are wired for solutions Mm -hmm. in our culture. Mm -hmm. Even people that aren't three sevens and eights, I think there's this pressure of, okay, well, how do we fix this? How do we do this now? And curiosity sometimes doesn't necessarily involve solutions right Mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's so many golden nuggets in that. So one, thank you for bringing Dr. Dan Siegel into this is part of how I decided to name this flip your lid. Mm. Yeah. He talks about that. right? Yeah. I love his simple understanding of the brain in that once our lid is flipped, all trauma responses, your limbic system, your amygdala, everything's exposed and your cortex has to come back down in, Mm. in order to be able to use it. And so I tell people to do self observation with grace, Yeah, which is the same thing as saying, because when, when there's judgment, I have no faith. Right. Mm. So if I can look at myself with grace of what's happening, that it takes exactly what you're saying to watch that, because without mm. looking at it with grace, I'm actually still using one of the strategies that got me through childhood. Yes. Which is criticism. It's low self-esteem. Yes. It's it's depression, narcissism. It's part of what you explained is when people put themselves down all the time. Correct. That is depression, narcissism. So that they don't have to actually go to the next level and see mm-hmm. what's really going on with mm-hmm. them. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, from a biblical or Christian perspective, mm-hmm. it, th- all of this goes back to what John is talking about in John 13 through 17. Because if we forget the fact that we have been united with Christ yeah. and that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this thing called a relationship— Mm-hmm. and they are welcoming us into their relationship, then there is nothing that we can do to be separated from that. Now, there's mm-hmm. things that we can do to alienate ourselves from that. We can engage in... But but from God's perspective, there's there's no pulling away on His end. Right. And so for me, I think this... the And I get in trouble sometimes when I say this, but oh you well. You get in trouble anyway. Uh, the myth of separation, we just need to debunk that because it is... It is incredibly, I mean, I see, and I'm sure you do too, people that have essentially spiritual PTSD because they're afraid mm-hmm. that if they mm-hmm. mess up, 
God's going to turn away from them and they're yeah. not going to be enough. And yeah. what does that create? That creates more personality, more dysfunctional behavior, more a higher level of uh, narcissism on the spectrum because they're not feeling like they're enough. Yeah. They're not feeling like they're good yeah, enough. So good. But a lot of it in our, and I've, I've had this conversation with you, I feel like people in the church, well, whatever, I don't care if I get in trouble. I think people in the church can actually be more messed up, quote unquote, messed up than people that mm-hmm. come from outside the church. Mm-hmm. And then people that come from outside the church and they, they have converted and they're Christians and they're saved, they come in and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't get all of that. Right. Like what, what is that about? And it's because sometimes there are just messages that we've received Mm -hmm. in unhealthy church culture that say, essentially you need to apologize for who you are. You need to be sorry. You need to be ashamed. You need to think about your sinfulness 24 seven, you know, all these things. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but in reality, there's truth to those things. There's, yeah, and and so for me, John 15, where he says the Father and I are one, the Father and I are together. Mm-hmm. Th- there's union, and we get to be invited into that union. Union does. I mean, union means like there's nothing that can be that can separate us from that love. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that there's not. And this is the second piece, right? That doesn't mean that there's not hard moments. Because if you continue to read in John 15, it says that he's pruning us mm-hmm. and he's burning things away, right? That mm-hmm. aren't actually leading to our wholeness, mm-hmm. that aren't actually leading to our healthy spirituality. So it doesn't, I mean, we're not we're not drinking margaritas in Hawaii 24-7, as nice as that would be. But th- there's, there are hard moments that sometimes happen. But we can go through hard moments with Jesus Mm-hmm. and not be separated from Jesus. That's right. There's a distinction right. there. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And and just the fact that we have to give like 20 disclaimers to speak our own personal truth, <laughs> yeah. right? Everything that you've researched and that you've tried right. to figure out in your personal relationship with Jesus. Right. Like it, there's this sense of that you have to be really clear of like whose toes do I step on, but that is mm-hmm. just your truth and understanding. And particularly going going into that, the idea is that you know, part of your parasympathetic nervous system is ventral vagal. And when you're there, that is mm-hmm. connection. There's safety and connection. It's called social engagement. Mm-hmm. That is where we get to feel the closeness you're to so him. You're so smart. Kim. It's amazing. Wow. Isn't it? you Literal genius. You don't even know. Anyway, brother Thomas. Um, so when you step out of ventral vagal, when you step out of that place of closeness that you can feel the Lord, you're going into a trauma response. He's still there with you. Yes. But you will simply be in a state of panic yes. or shutdown. You won't experience him, but mm. we're never separate from him. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not be a Christ follower. He had to go to the depth of hell to get yes. me. Ooh, that'll preach. Right? So, so if the whole idea is that we have to get up and go find him and go to him. Correct. He came to us and then he literally in my life came Mm. and found me where I was and it was not a good place. Yes. Baxter Kruger puts it this way. That has to do more with blindness that we, we can't actually see God present within us, Mm. but Mm. through the work of the Holy spirit, he kind of gets to take the veil off. Right. And we get to see that even in those moments of pain and hardship, he was there all along. That with with polyvagal, that's I mean that's really really interesting to me because mm-hmm. what we're learning is uh, this is I don't know if your listeners are familiar with this, but you know window of tolerance, right? And how if we're outside of our window of tolerance, and for people that have experienced trauma, I mean th- their window of tolerance is very minimal, right? right? Very very minimal. But that sweet spot of the window of tolerance is incredibly important. It's where growth happens. It's where safety happens. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we will not grow unless we feel safe. That's right. Now that doesn't mean that risk isn't a part of the human experience. Bruce Perry, who I I really, really like, like he, he talks about the difference between uh, unpredictable risk and Mm -hmm. change and stress and change that is predictable. Because if you have a child or a person Mm -hmm. that every day there is unpredictable stress, you're not going to get this meal. You're not going to get this meal. You're going to get late. There's going to be yelling, like just bombarded. Mm -hmm. That is going to do something to your nervous system. It's going to mess you up. Yes. But if you can be in school environments or familiar environments where it's like, we're going to work on a task that's actually going to lead us to actually 
think about things in different ways mm. that leads to resilience that's so right. one so one leads to trauma and the other one leads to resilience that's right so i think it's important when we're talking about safety we're not saying uh we need to live a really comfortable life right but when stress is so overwhelming that you're just in a state of fight or flight 24 yep. 7 that's going to lead to huge i mean huge problems and i think in our especially in the evangelical world in North America. And by the way, some people are like, do you hate evangelicals? No, those people are my, they're my tribe. Those are your people. They're my people. Yeah, That's right. why I want to, yeah. I want to, I'm speaking to that. But uh, what was I saying? That you love me and you think I'm great. <laughs> That's not helping. That was kids. not it. Oh it was all. Uh, what not, happens when not two, on the narcissism spectrum, right? What happens when no. two ADHD people get together? <laughs> what was I saying? Dang it. You know what, Bruce Perry and unpredictability and then their path. Oh, so in the, in the spiritual, so when we're talking about Christian spirituality, I think that many people are sometimes bombarded with images about, about their own shame and about their own inadequacy. Right. That is exactly what Bruce Perry is talking about in regards to uh, unpredictable change, because mm -hmm. you can never, you can never actually sit for a second, breathe and say, oh, God loves me even if I messed up today. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and in the work that I do, I mean, I, one of my specialties is helping people navigate spiritual, spiritual trauma, you yeah. know, it's, uh, and, and that doesn't necessarily come from, I mean, that can come from a variety of reasons, but we need to be able to actually breathe and know that we're enough. Yeah. Just the idea of the, I love the term spiritual PTSD, or for some people it's church PTSD of just knowing the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Because the. What's heartbreaking for me is the idea of someone walking away from Jesus because of misrepresentation in mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. And I know it happens. I've met people, and I'm like, I can't believe you still believe based on what happened to you mm -hmm. in what was... You walked in thinking it was his house. Right. And in his name, people did things to you, and you still mm. pursue him. Yes. But it means they did the work on the spiritual PTSD. Right. Right, and how crucial that is. And for those of you listening, if you want to look up Window of Tolerance, I will look it up through... The eyes of Dan Siegel. I look at it mm -hmm. through Dan Siegel because people have taken that term and made it a little bit different of what he meant. Absolutely. And so you can you can read about that and, and just get a better understanding of your own mm -hmm. personal window of tolerance. Yes. Yeah, Dan, Dan Siegel. And, and Dan Siegel also talks about the wheel of awareness, and that's a really good mm -hmm. tool for that me is. too because if we want to raise curiosity and we want to engage in the frontal cortex area, that that's also going to, you know, help with that, with that stuff too. So, yeah, I think in this conversation, it's just really important to know how, um, how safety and security, th right. those are non-negotiables. Like they're, they're that's really, right. really, that's really right. important. And, and it means you can have a voice. It means that you can have a disagreement without, um, having stabbing, Correct. so to speak, right? It, it it means that there's still a connection, even though there can be something mm -hmm. that the pastor says or somebody in your committee says that you disagree with. You can right. still stay connected. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 I, I mean, I just find that more and more of us in this cultural age are struggling with that. There mm -hmm. there is a struggle, and I think it's because we. We have created um, ideological. Uh, what do I want to say? We because of our ideologies actually give us safety. Mm. So what we actually believe gives us safety. So when that is challenged, like for example, what's happening in our world in the conversation regarding race, mm -hmm. we have a, we have sets of people. I'm not even talking about quote unquote one side or the other. I'm just saying all around, we have sets of people that cannot take that information in because that means that their narrative about what America is or what the police force is or what mm -hmm. whatever is, is completely upended. Right. And so because of that, that actually leads, I mean, let's call it as it is, that leads to anxiety. Yes. So, so for... And that's the separation of self. Yeah. yeah. And for them, for, or for whoever it is, I mean, I, for me, who I'm part of whatever, that that actually leads to a sense of not feeling safe mm -hmm. because we have created we ideology has become identity. Right. And when ideology becomes identity, 
when an opposing view comes to the forefront, mm-hmm. that's incredibly hard, incredibly right. difficult. So I think this conversation has huge ramifications for our day and age, like right here, right now, right. because it can be, I mean, and I, what I've been trying to tell people with this is as passionate as you are on whatever, whatever you believe, if your passion is more important than your connection to that person, mm. nothing good is going to happen. Say that again, Thomas. Uh, if your passion is more important than your connection with that person, mm. nothing is going to happen. Yeah. Or something will happen and it won't be good. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Be- so we have to be able to have, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for standing up for people that are vulnerable injustices, but it can't come at the sake of ridicule Mm -hmm. and disconnection. Mm -hmm. And there can be disagreement. Disagreement is healthy. It's part of the human experience. But we have to understand how important connection is. I've never found someone that says, this person yelled at me because they thought differently. And you know what? I really wanted to change my mind about it. No, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. (laughs) Well, and going back to the narcissism, just so y'all can hear this, that... We're talking about trying to have connection with semi to healthy people that are seeking connection. If you have a narcissist in your life, and I particularly mean a malignant narcissist who is or a cluster of a personality disorder, like you aren't safe. Mm. You're not going to change them. It benefits them to be narcissists. They, they, they don't have issue with how they treat you. Mm. We want you to have issue with how that person, that narcissist person, is treating you. Yes. So please hear that. And when he's saying... We're not. We're not seeking disconnect. Disconnection. If you're in an abusive, toxic relationship, you need to oh, seek yeah. disconnection. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that clarification. And and honestly, I mean, it's talked about so much, but this is where boundaries come in into right. this. So if for those for the for the practical people that are listening, <laughs> uh, you you have to be able to set up boundaries with people mm-hmm. that are on on that high end of the narcissism spectrum. Because right. if you don't set up boundaries, um you they will make you go crazy and Absolutely. you will you, you will end up in Kim's and I office at That's some exactly point right. uh, and, and part of what happens is the narcissist will find a codependent doesn't ap- mean mm-hmm. they're a codependent narcissist but they will find someone mm-hmm. who's in a fawning yes. trauma response or you can look as a preoccupied attachment and what happens is that that person with preoccupied attachment or codependency will not have boundaries because they think the boundary will hurt the other person mm-hmm I do need to know that is a narcissistic type thought. Yes. If yes. you say you're worried about hurting someone's feelings, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you that that's really about you, mm-hmm. and not that you're thinking the other person is that weak they can't handle. Yes. It. Nine times out of ten, you're saying that because you are scared of and in fear of being rejected mm-hmm. if you stand up for yourself. Have you? I've never met a narcissist that hasn't ended up with a codependent person. Have you ever met one? No, I have not. It always happens, right? They find them. They find them. Yeah. And then once they get left, they go stand in an Al-Anon meeting parking lot and they find them a new one. Yes. Yeah. Like it's just really amazingly sad. And I I would say that that happens sometimes in uh, in church cultures where you have a narcissistic leader and narcissistic narcissistic leaders love Yes, people, codependent yeah. people, because yes. they're not going to stand up for themselves. And that's where spiritual abuse and spiritual PTSD Correct. comes in. Correct. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, Thomas and I did a talk before about, you know, what you have an attachment style. We're talking about spectrum. Mm-hmm. You have attachment style as a child, and then you grow up and have a certain attachment style as an adult. But there's a spectrum because you can get around certain people and you can leave your your birth attachment and go into a different attachment. Yes. But your church as an attachment style yes. as well. So if there is not attunement to you, if it's not about your needs, if you are not allowed to be who you are, mm-hmm. if certain things aren't happening within your church, and that does go from the top down, yes. then if you're in a, a more of an unresolved attachment church, and they are very much out there, mm-hmm. or an avoidant attachment church, which means it's about you serving the church, the church not serving you. Correct. Please, please, please think about that, pray about that, because that gets really unhealthy. Yeah. And and the marks, once again, as a reminder, the marks of secure attachment would be, you know, exploration, risk-taking, an ability to co-regulate, some of the things we've talked about, mm-hmm. right, with disagreeing without, right. you know, someone losing their minds. Right. And But I would say even the most important piece is how do we repair? Can we, can we have an argument and then there's some hurt feelings, but do we repair? Do we That's come right. back and do we say, hey— 
we probably still don't agree on that, but like, I love you. Yeah. You're, you're my person. Right. Uh, you're, you're my group of people, whatever, whatever right. that, that language is. And yep. so how, how we repair, I think is, it's just as important because I have a lot of people that when I talk about attachment with them, they interpret it as we shouldn't fight. We shouldn't have yeah. arguments. And that's not what secure attachment is. Secure attachment is how do we repair after. Right. And more importantly, uh, and even though I'm the therapist and the family, Sarah was onto this way before. She's like, we need to learn how to fight better because we, we suck <laughs> at it. And she was right. We were really bad at it. Right. And, and, uh, and I think in secure attachment, it's about how do we actually fight well too? Right. How do we, yeah. how do we actually, how do we have arguments that are well? Right. Couples that don't fight weird me out. I'm like, it, y'all, y'all tell me you haven't had an argument like in two years, like some, something is, something's not right there. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And part of that is therapist humor. Also part of that, it can actually be an indication that there's abuse and that sure. there's fear of fighting. There's fear of having a voice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so just know like the so part of what he's talking about is the rupture and repair. The time between the rupture and the repair matters. Yes. So if there's a lot of time that happens in between that, then there's a lot of difficulty. Yeah. And that's and you know, that's where behavior comes in, that's where resentment comes in, and, and that is where a lot of times that mm. even if you wake up the next day and you keep going in the marriage or in with your balls, whatever it is, and there's no repair, mm. there is still damage. Yes. Because without repair, there's a pattern. Yes. Inner work, I think, is really important in this conversation to be able to do inner work. And Suzanne says that the numbers that hate inner work more than any other number are eights. Shut up. And she did not say that about yes, me. Yes, she did. She did. I'm going to talk to her. I'm calling her. You should. I wish she would talk to me. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sometimes ones when they're unhealthy. Mm. And and inner work, what is inner work? It can mean different things. But essentially, it means we are looking at our... This is such four language. I'm sure like every other number is like, stop. Uh, but it's looking within your soul, inside, inwardly, and seeing what your motivations are all about. Mm. What What's going on internally? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes what happens, and this is, I'm relying on Pizza Zero here, we we automatically do without attaining to our internal world. That's right. And then we overfunction. And when we overfunction, we just end up hurting everybody. We yeah. just hurt everybody. Right. And and so inner work can involve like reflective journaling. Uh, it can involve, you know, prayer, silent prayer. It can involve uh, just Ex- having people. Re- yeah. yeah there's so having people in your life that can speak to you. Mm-hmm. It can involve um, just all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't. I think the reason it's hard for three sevens and eights is because there's not <laughs> I won't tell them what you just did I just left them off uh, because it doesn't come with a result if you attach a result to it then then you're probably not doing it right and three sevens and eights love results right they right. love results and they love action and they want it now and they want it here yeah. and so um but then again I would actually say too that inner work that is n- with no solutions I mean fours and fives and nines can can be so reflective and so withdrawing and so inward that at some point someone needs to come behind them and say so what do we do about this right that's so that's idea. why so that's why for every number growth looks so differently because what growth looks like for you is probably mm-hmm. to be more reflective about those things what growth looks like to me as a doing repressed four is to say what is the action that is attached to this right so yeah. So, yeah, so y'all just know there's certain numbers, you know, different levels of your intelligence center is repressed. So as an eight, I'm feeling repressed, and Thomas would be doing and repressed. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we're actually really good together because yeah, you encouraged are. me to feel, and then I've helped you do a few things. This is very true. Yeah, and so it really does balance well, but that's part of the help that's there. And I wonder if part of, for me, the inner work came easily in a sense is because mm-hmm. I had 12 steps in front of me and I knew when I got to the 12 steps, they told me something amazing was going to happen yes. and they didn't lie. Something amazing yes. happened. And the therapy with it, like my pain level was so much that it was worth it to figure out why in the world I was so against myself. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I've heard people, 
the sneeze. Dang it. Bless uh, you. <laughs> I've heard people say that when great pain or when difficult situations mm-hmm. occur, uh, that will also catapult them into right. a new way of thinking, a new way of being. And, yeah. and that's me relying on Richard right. Rohr's work with Falling yeah. Upward, that um, transformation comes from one of two places. One is a place of great desire mm-hmm. and one is a, a place of great loss. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So if suffering yeah. or something comes yeah. or if addiction, like if you're at the end of your rope and mm-hmm. like you are so desperate, mm-hmm. yeah, you're you're going to be pretty desperate to try something else. Right. Right. When you're when your whole world gets taken away from you, right. that that's going to catapult you into a new way of being. Yeah. Which is another reason why I speak openly about codependent narcissism, because you want the person in your life to stop catching them. Because that's your drug. Because if in, unless someone hits bottom and it's also all avenues, we won't seek higher. Yes. All right. And so in AA, we say when the pain of the problem outweighs the pain of the solution, you will change. Mm. All right. And so it became that I did not want to sit in AA meetings. I had no <laughs> desire to do that. But my pain was so great, sure. I was willing to sit still, which is really difficult 25 years ago mm-hmm. with me unmedicated to, mm. to sit through a whole meeting. Yes. But I figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that liminal space, right? That place where there's great desperation for mm-hmm. change to actually happen. Mm-hmm. And that, I want to I want to clarify, that doesn't mean for for people that are listening that are followers of Jesus and their faith is in, faith and spirituality is important. I don't think that means we have to go looking for suffering. You guys want to hear? You guys want to hear the most four story ever? When we were uh, when we were when Sarah and I were just married, I. I literally, this is, I don't know how I didn't think I was a four for so long. I literally prayed for pain and suffering. I was like, my life is so boring, God. Like, wow. bring something to me that like, yeah. And that's, Sarah was like. That's diagnosable. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah looks at me. She's like, do not pray for that. Ever. And, uh, but the reason I'm telling that story is we don't have to go, the world, we live in a broken world. Mm-hmm. We live in a world that is full of mm-hmm. pain and suffering and brokenness. So it's not necessarily about looking for that stuff. It's about just acknowledging when it hits right. and not ignoring it and not stuffing. That's right. That's right. And for fours, not overdoing that, yeah. not overdoing that pain right. and suffering. Too. And going back to what you're saying about inner work, the more that I have cleared out the plank in my eyes and the trauma mm. on my heart and the things that won't let me hear, the more I've done that, when someone else is suffering, I don't make their suffering about me. Mm. And so I can see it, I can pick up on it, and I can extend a hand or I can stand beside them. And then, because no one's going to get, no one gets through an addiction alone. No one gets out of a trauma response alone. No one gets out of domestic violence completely by themselves, right? We we have to, as you said, we're wired for connection. We have to be there for each other. And so, but if I'm not well, mm. I might not see that you're suffering. Mm-hmm. I might make your suffering about me to mm-hmm. continue to avoid my suffering. All right. Or I might tell you you deserve your suffering. Uh huh. Yes. None of that does not work out. As <laughs> Christ not. followers, it does not. It does not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really really good. Yeah. So we got to do the work. Yeah, we have to do the work. And there's, yeah, I, I think even the word work has it's important to define what that is. It it doesn't mean we have to do work so that God sees us in a yes, thank you in a good that. light. Yeah, thank you. Because even when we're talking about attachment, it can be we've talked about this. Yeah. It's confusing when we talked about earned secure attachment. Yes. Cause because uh, I don't like that word. There's not earning involved. That's right. right. <laughs> there's not earning involved. What we're talking about doing the work is when we engage in work, we open our eyes to the reality of God's love within us and mm-hmm. in us and through us. And we let go of the coping mechanisms and the personality structures and the unhealthy behavior mm-hmm. that is leading us to have our blinders actually on, to right. not be able to see God present in every part of our lives. That's right. And so the work is is not so that we get to this enlightenment moment where we're fine where me and God are finally good. Mm-hmm. What it means is um that we get to engage in spiritual practices and exercise and whatever it is to actually be able to wake up to what's already in front of us yeah, that's that so we good. haven't been able to see because yeah. of all the extra personality that we've been right. engaging with. Yeah, that's so good. It's really, I'm, I want you to talk a little more about the personality because part of why I track Thomas down and just know if I find out about you, 
she, and you say something that I don't know my own after doing this for so long, I will find you. So, um, so Thomas made a comment on a different podcast about personality and about essence. Yes. And, it, and I know, I understand that you were taught that, but your way of expressing it was really good. The way you said it really resonated with me. Sure. And so will you elaborate a little bit on that? Cause that's a very different way of thinking. Yeah. So, a lot of times when we talk about the Enneagram or when we talk about anything having to do with personality, anything, we we think that our personality is who we are. But the reality is that our personality is not who we are. Mm. It's the stuff that we have actually layered on or added on mm. to take away from what our essence is. And our essence is what Thomas Merton would call our true self, right? So when we were born, we have this true self. But because of wounding, and and so many people have problems with this language because they're like, I had a really good childhood. I, I wasn't wounded. Like, I'm good. Everything's fine. And But all of us are wounded to a certain extent. Yes. And the reason all of us are wounded are not because all of our parents suck. The reason, because <laughs> most of us, many of our parents are actually really, really good, mm-hmm. and they were loving to their capacity. Mm-hmm. But what happens with wounding is there is no way that one person can meet all of our needs right. or there's no way that two parents can meet all of our needs. That's right. So we as children experience things in different ways that leads to hurt and pain. And so because of that, we then add personality mm-hmm. to be able to deal with that wounding and that pain. So when I when I'm saying I'm a four, in a way I am, in a way I'm not. I'm really not. My fourness is all the stuff that I've actually added on to my true self. And so what happens in Enneagram work or what happens in inner work, hopefully, is that we are actually like peeling back the layers of all my fourness Mm -hmm. so that I can actually get to my true self. That's right. Or for a seven, all my sevenness. Mm -hmm. So so in reality, I mean, it can be confusing for people that when they first learn about it, it's like, wait, what? What does that mean? Well, it just means that we have to be able to see our coping mechanisms, our personality. Mm-hmm. So we let that go right. um, to discover who we actually are. And this is why I think things like contemplative prayer or just reflectiveness, mm-hmm. mindfulness, meditation, walking, what whatever it is that you want to engage in, it helps you become aware of what you're adding on. So yep. when I, so from a faith perspective, when I'm just sitting with Jesus, when I'm practicing contemplative prayer, one of the things I notice when I'm just silent before the Lord is all the conversations in my head that I'm having, all the future conversations so that I don't look dumb, so mm. that I so mm. that I am seen, because once yeah. again, we're in that heart triad, right? Mm-hmm. So that I am seen in a way that is not incompetent. That's good. And so, so we're not looking for a quote-unquote encounter with Jesus, even though that might happen. What we're seeing is, oh, these this is the thing that's actually keeping me from deeper, closer intimacy with God. Right. It's worried about what that person's going to think. Or if I'm asked this question, like, what am I going to say in this scenario? All of this kind of stuff. And so um, for Sarah, when she engages in that kind of work, what happens with her is she thinks about all the things that could go wrong in any possible scenario. So for her, she needs to allow the Lord to actually remove mm-hmm. the fear and the anxiety. But those are completely different things that happen in contemplative prayer or in just silence or just chilling out for mm-hmm. 10 minutes without mm-hmm. doing something. And so this is why I think the Enneagram is so important because it it teaches us the ways that we cope um, in unhealthy ways. And we can then allow the Holy Spirit to come within us mm-hmm. and we can say, Father, take those things away. I want deeper intimacy. I want deeper closeness. But but that's what I mean by personality. We we are I when I think about those scenarios, that's to deal with a wound. When right. Sarah deals with worst case scenarios, that's to deal with a wound. Mm-hmm. When sevens uh want to plan the next thing and want to have like high excitement and they want to plan and plan and plan, that's to deal with woundings. Mm-hmm. When eights want to take charge and take over, that's to deal with wounding. It's not because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. It's actually that's who they're not. When nines want to just peacemake all the time, mm-hmm. that's to deal with wounding. Anyways, I'll shut right. up. Right. And just, I mean, that's so good. But like, just the thing, like nines unhealthy, they're not peacemaking, they're appeasing. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And that it's a sense of as an eight, I have an ability to be a leader. If I start being bossy, then I'm, then I'm in personality. Correct. Right. It's a characteristic versus thinking it's your character. Correct. Right. Correct. And, yeah. And so another way of putting it is that when you're born, you're the unconditioned self. As you go through life, people put conditions on you. Oh, that's good. Right? I hadn't so, heard that. So part of being, once you become a conditioned self, and then you think that's who you are, only the enemy's happy with that. Mm. Like God's called you. You will experience God's unconditional love the more you're in your unconditioned self. Yes. Yes. That's really good. Yeah. And so I think you said that so well about us figuring out who we are versus who someone said we are. Yes. Because we'll, we'll believe that. We won't believe who God says we are. Mm-hmm. The the hard part about inner work too is that we no one is gonna congratulate us for inner work because all of us love when seven you know, we love when sevens are the life of the party. These are characters, I understand, not every seven's right. like this. But all of us love when no one knows what to do when an eight is like, okay, we're gonna do it. this, this, and this and this. Mm-hmm. And so we for those of us that are on a journey, we have to really be mindful, reflect and I would say congratulate and be aware that everyone is on a journey. Yeah. Everyone is on a journey. Yeah. And um, yeah. So just to be able to do an inventory, do a daily inventory, yes. right? So whether you do it in the morning or at night and just to look over through your day and really think about, start with this question, was I able to receive today? Ah, uh, Yeah. And if I'm not, what stops me? What? How mm-hmm. did that condition come into my life that I'm not allowed to receive? I'm mm-hmm. just to, I'm just to give. Yes. Right. Like just to start looking at why do I say the same thing every time I see Jay? Yeah. Am I doing that because I don't know how to get closer to him? If I'm doing that because, like, just to really start. Because Jay's so awesome. He That's is why. awesome. That's Jay's why. our producer. In case y'all don't know. <laughs> so it's just all part of it. Like really, if you slow down enough. And that's yes. part about God being like being in Ooh. his presence, like he's in the present. Absolutely. Right. And so that's where we experience him. And we can look and see through his lenses of what keeps us from mm. experiencing that. Like, that's powerful. It is very powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And I I think, yeah, I'm just thinking about what you're saying. I don't know that I have anything to add to that, but it's you are the expert here, not me, <laughs> by the way. Uh I, I, I think it's incredibly important to to recognize how, and I said this before, but a slow down spirituality is a good spirituality. Oh, that's really good. It's a slow like down spirituality. If we don't have rhythms in our mm-hmm. lives, mm-hmm. we will we will overfunction that's and really we will good. hurt people, uh, and we will mm-hmm. um, we will find ourselves doing things that we probably shouldn't have been doing. Right. And so I I value church structures, churches that actually that want connection mm-hmm. and that want a slow down kind of spirituality mm-hmm. and a slow down spirituality doesn't mean that there's not action involved. Mm-hmm. But if you study the life of Jesus, what you see in the gospels is that Jesus is engaging in a pattern of going and stopping, mm-hmm. going good. and That's retreating. Good. I like that. And I'm sorry, but the, in the evangelical world, we don't, we don't love to stop that much. We right. just want to go. We've taken you know, the Great Commission, and we've made that the end-all, be-all, and I'm all for the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. It's biblical. It's good. We need to go. We need to make disciples. But sometimes like, sometimes we're going without taking God with us. Right. Like We're going, and we're, we're like, did we even pray about that? Right. <laughs> like, Was right. God even in that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or did we just see an opportunity... And we just said, hey, let's go tackle this thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think in, when it comes to churches, we have to engage in discerning what what is it like to go and what is it like to actually, hey, maybe we need to take a couple of days and actually just pray about this. Yeah. And I think sixes and nines are great at this. Mm-hmm. They are great at being able to say, y'all crazy people, it seems like y'all are doing a lot. Uh, even me as a four, even though I'm doing repressed, because I have a one-to-one subtype, I externalize all that. And so, mm-hmm. and and I have a hint of ADHD, so, or a lot of ADHD, lot, Kim would say. A lot. She can probably see it, like I'm fidgeting, I'm looking at my stuff. I'm slipping anyway. him some Ritalin. <laughs> I'm telling him it's a tic-tac. <laughs> and so, and so because of that, I think numbers like sixes and nines, they're like, have you considered this? And all of us are like, have you considered what? Like, let's right. just go do this thing. All right, let's go. Um, so I think sixes and nines are great, great, great additions to 
church staffs um, to churches because they help us actually do things for the right reasons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. I was talking to my pastor last Sunday and we were talking to Naeem Fazal. <laughs> we were talking to the worship leader, Lauren. She's amazing. She's a six. And so he's a three and ah. I'm an eight. And he was, his point was when, he, when she texts him, if she, he doesn't text back, there's a panic and there's 25 more texts that come to him with needing a response. And he's like, Kim, when I text you, when you text me and I don't respond, nothing happens. <laughs> Nothing, because I I don't care. Like I said, what I needed to say. Uh, I trust that if he, whenever I need to get the answer, I'm going to get the answer. If I needed to call him, if I said nine one one, he would respond. But it's just that anxiety, wow. right? It's just so different. Wow. She needs to know. That's interesting. That he got the text. I don't care. That's interesting. Yeah, it's just yeah. It, again, and that's part of my love <laughs> the enneagram and, and understanding people's attachment styles and understanding all that. Your expectations of people will match them yes. instead of matching you. Yes. Well, and isn't the whole point of this to love people better? Then we want to love people Amen. well. And so yeah. if we can engage with and learn about tools that help mm-hmm. us to love people better, what's yeah? There's something bad about that. And, you and know? <laughs> narcissism won't let you love. Uh-huh. So just be aware. And if you are stuck in like a preoccupied attachment and you're seeking the love of an avoidant, mm. you you're going to exhaust yourself mm. and the avoidant will, dismissive will not no. be tired. No. So we, I really want to start this podcast and be more intentional about psychology and interpersonal biology for people to really understand if you are walking around the promised land and you keep passing <laughs> the same cactus, if, I believe if you had some different information, if you had a different way of looking at it, if something internal could shift for you, yes, then not only do you change the other person that you've been mm. chasing, now they have an opportunity to change. Yes. Doesn't mean they will, but at yeah. least now there's a window. Yeah. Yeah. Nar- narcissism also, I mean, we have to have boundaries with people that are on that spectrum or that have that personality disorder. But it's important to know and to remember that it's a wound. They're actually mm-hmm. acting out of a place of wounding. Mm-hmm. So even though they're acting like absolute jerks Mm -hmm. that that comes out of a place of wound there is something within them that is so fractured that is so broken that they live in this alternative reality where they cannot be wrong Mm -hmm. they cannot see the other side they cannot engage in Mm self-reflection it is all about them and grandiosity and so it's important. I mean, we need to have boundaries. I'm not saying let them do what they want to do, but before we get all riled up and angry about it, which it's okay, anger is part of the human experience. Right. It's important to know that that actually comes out of a place of wounding. They are so lost in their own pain mm-hmm. that they live in an alternative reality that right. says it's all about me. Right. And if you are in a church or you're in relationship with a pastor, or relationship with a husband, a wife, anybody and you are detecting gaslighting in them and lack of empathy in them, and you are still pursuing them in the same way that enables their behavior, that's a really good time for you to focus on you. Even if it's five minutes a day, because you're starving and you're thirsty and there's no connection for Mm. you. That's a really, really hard place to be. So even if it's five minutes a day, you actually check in with yourself and show some some look for some self connection. Mm. That can start going into a different direction. Yeah, yeah, and and there's people to to be with you in this on this journey. I mean, if, even if you suspect something, mm-hmm. there's, um, you know, Kim's Kim's connected. She's got resources. She's got resources, but also just listen. Like it's for for those of us in the gut triad. When you're dealing with a narcissist or a narcissistic system, yes, if you're able to trust your gut, because I can tell you the narcissist will say exactly what you need, you want to hear. They'll 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 keep saying it to you what you want to hear in those moments that they think there's going to be a chance yes. of loss. Yeah, but if your gut, if your body's responding, that's part of that's part of the interpersonal work is understanding how your body shows you physiologically what's actually mm. going on. To really understand that, because narcissists will say whatever they got to say in the moment. Yeah. It's self-serving. It's self-serving. It's self-serving. It is self-serving. Yeah. And for people in the gut triad too, I this is where, I'm not just saying this because Kim's here, but this is why for, 
for eights that they are if they're if they've done their work, they will call out that injustice because they they probably they've been able to see the harm that that person can potentially do. Yeah. And so eights can can add a lot to this conversation and that when everyone else is nervous, I mean they'll just they'll just call them out. Yeah. Right. They'll be like, no, you need to not do that. You don't right. get to do that. Right. You need to stop. Right. Uh, you're obnoxious. Right. Go away. Right. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, for people in the gut triad, that's that's really, really important. Yeah. So. So, Thomas, I know that you've been in private practice for a while, but you're starting a new leg of it. I Something am. That's very much yours. Can you tell our listeners, I'm sure they're enthralled with you and intrigued <laughs> oh and they want to touch the hem of Please your blue jeans. Please edit whatever no, she's that's saying No, really out. good stuff. Good God. How would they, God is good. How would they... <laughs> How would they follow you? How would they contact you? If, the, if somebody wanted to be your patient, how would they contact you now that you've left your current residence? Yeah, I'm still uh, in the, I'll, I'll be starting my practice August 31st. So we're about a month away. So that's exciting. Uh, the name of my practice is called Inward Counseling. That's I-N-W-A-R-D, Inward Counseling. And, uh, and, and so... I guess, can I get my number out here? Yeah. I don't know. Give your number out. <laughs> Put on the bathroom wall. Do what you got to do. You can, you can text <laughs> or call 704-999-0044. Excellent. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram. I put out some psychoeducational material on there. You and I'm on do Facebook. great with that. That's Thanks. really good information I appreciate that. People. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, they can reach me that way. So just so y'all know, he's been in private practice. He's in private practice right now, but it's for a facility that gets a percentage of what he makes. Yeah. And I, I, many people have said, you're too good to keep doing that. We want you to get 100%. Go do your I would thing. like to say that they are great, fantastic human and, beings. And, and they're a great practice. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. are. They're they really, are. really good. Not all practices are created equal, and they're an outstanding practice. They've been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the best practice I've ever been a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Just classy, classy people. Yeah, they are. But we, we've encouraged Thomas to go on his own with his for self. And so he has done that. And I, I will be, prov- I'm, my model's going to be a little different. I'm not going to have a, an office place, but I'm going to be doing nature walks. Uh, I'm also going to be doing telehealth. So web-based therapy. And I've even been meeting some people, different places around town. So, so Hey Thomas, you're amazing. Thanks. You're this so has smart. been a lot of fun. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. You're amazing. Thanks. So everybody, thank you so much. We hope that somewhere in this talk today that you were able to flip your lid and figure out what you need to see within that you need to be able to reconnect to yourself and realize how amazing you are. So thanks for being part of what we're doing. Thank you.